I'm Mark Peterson, and this is Before, During, and After, a podcast from FEMA. In addition to our ubiquitous role in responding to and recovering from disasters and emergencies, FEMA also administers numerous grant programs aimed at increasing the capacity of the nation's emergency management system. Part of that administration is understanding the challenges our state, local, tribal, and territorial partners face when applying for and successfully accessing these grants. On today's episode, we'll talk with Pam Williams, Assistant Administrator for FEMA's Grant Programs Directorate, about FEMA's outreach initiatives with America's tribal nations, including three recent tribal consultations, and how FEMA is working hard to improve our delivery of grants to tribal nations. By and large, the public sees FEMA through our recovery uh, and response programs, the way that we interact after a major event that they see on the news. But there is so much that we do uh, in support of our state, local, tribal, and territorial partners through our grants programs. And in order to talk a little bit about how we're improving the delivery of our grants programs, specifically uh, to tribal nations, we have Pam Williams joining us, uh, the Assistant Administrator for FEMA's Grants Program Directorate. Pam, it's great to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about how we are building capability and capacity across the country, including with our tribal nations through our grant programs. And we are definitely doing that. And we're going to talk a lot about how you and your directorate are working specifically to engage and improve that delivery with the tribal nations. But before we do, you know, I'd be remiss not to just highlight for a second uh, what a what a thrill it is to talk to you again. I mean, obviously, we have worked together in the past, but you have this really unique um, long and diversified career in emergency management. I mean, you've been in the private sector where you've advocated for uh, resiliency programs. You've worked uh, on Capitol Hill for the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee as one of our main authorizing committees. But then you've also worked in policy and, and legal uh, here at FEMA. And so, you know, with this, you know, incredible varied experience, I, I really think is unique. How do you think that that has contributed to your focus and your approach to tribal outreach and collaboration uh, for grants? Well, first and foremost, I started a career that I never thought would truly last a lifetime in disaster law and policy in local government. And directly after after graduate school, I went to the city of Des Moines, Iowa, in the wake of the 93 floods. And so I saw a local government start to recover from disasters. And I learned how intimate that conversation needs to be and what the people on the ground need to not only recover from disaster, but then to build that resilience, to mitigate from disasters. And that truly laid the foundation for um, a lifetime of, of passionate work on disaster law and policy. So when I came to, to FEMA in 2002 and I started um, truly in, in intergovernmental affairs, and I learned that not only are our state and local partners critical to the work that 
that FEMA does, but truly our tribal partners are, are critical to the work that we do. And uh, it was then that I really saw how underserved our tribal partners are and how the law did not take care of them and did not address their needs. And it really wasn't until, uh, honestly, around the, the 2009-2010 timeframe that um, FEMA really started to look at how their policies and their programs um, were not addressing the needs of their tribal partners. So it really was around that time frame that FEMA started to look hard at the way um, not only their programs, but the organization as a whole um, address the needs of tribal partners. And we really uh, dedicated a lot of resources to addressing the needs of our tribal partners, to making sure that we were building those relationships, uh, dedicating robust regional resources to our tribal partners, and making sure that that the tribal nations had someone that they could inter interface with at the regional level. And I thought that that was a very, very important move, but there was so much more to do. So when I left and went to, to the Hill, uh, as you mentioned, to to really look at from that authorization standpoint. Um, again, just looking at what the law authorizes, um, was it was very clear that just the resources that were dedicated to tribes weren't sufficient. So um, after a brief stint in the private sector, continuing to advocate for uh, those resources that are dedicated toward building local um, and state and tribal capability and capacity. When I had the opportunity to come back to FEMA and particularly in, in the grants world, because you know, grants are, are truly uh, a key tool to what we can give um, all of our partners to helping build that resilience, to helping them not only withstand, but bounce back from the next inevitable disaster, regardless of cause. And um, so now I'm in a position to, to truly help engage with, with tribal partners and understand where those gaps still exist. And um, to take that perspective that started all those many years ago and try to help continue to build um, those efforts that were started back in the 2000s and, um, and really help tailor our programs and where needed. And I'm pretty excited to, to talk a little bit more about this. If needed, adjust our legal authorities so that we can better meet the need meet the needs of our tribal partners. You know, before we get into how we're working um, to really understand the the unique aspects of tribal nations um, as they work to apply for grants, maybe you could just kind of talk through um, the many different areas of grants that FEMA um, that FEMA has within our portfolio. Maybe, I mean, is there a way to bucket them and, and you know, sort of summarize that? Because there's a lot of them. There are a lot of them. And um, so, as you mentioned, people are most familiar with our disaster grants, you know, those grants that come into play um, in the wake of a disaster, those those resources that help communities uh, recover from, rebuild after a disaster. So we'll bucket those as disaster grants. And those are the ones that people are most um, familiar with. Um, 
I'm going to talk a lot about those grants that that came into play, particularly after 9-11. We're going to call those preparedness grants. Those are non-disaster grants. Um, and those help build um, capabilities. They, they truly are not only preparedness, so help address kind of terrorism hazards, but also um, a multitude of other hazards, right? Um, those can be used for everything from, from communications and equipment, um, emergency operations centers, but truly help build the capacity across this country um, to help um, prepare for the inevitability of disasters. But we also have other um, non-disaster grants like fire grants. So we help our, our first responders and our, and our fire community, um, even in the most rural of communities, build, um, build capacity through, through equipment, training, um, even um, research and personnel um, that, that really do help um, our fire and first responders responder um, and emergency um, communities. And then we have um, a large bucket of resources going to, to mitigation, which is, which is truly um, at the core of building resilience. So how do we help identify risk and um, then draw down that risk through various investments, whether that's um, removing people from, from harm's way or strengthening people against um, the inevitable harm. And so that there's a wide variety of investments through grants um, in in that mitigation area. So, uh, in thinking about all of those different um, different programs, uh, and then also thinking about our FEMA strategic plan and our our focus on instilling equity in all levels of emergency management, you know, Pam, can you talk about the importance of why we are at least in this conversation focused on um, you know, making these programs more accessible to tribal nations. Absolutely, absolutely. And so I also want to mention that, you know, FEMA's FEMA's grants go to um, our state and local partners, our tribal partners, and a variety of, of nonprofit partners um, that perform kind of inherently governmental uh, functions. Um, they go to to key law enforcement, to our first responders, and to to various um, state agencies that that manage critical infrastructure um, and and those people that are that are doing yeoman's work in in creating resilience and and protecting our country. And so they're they're key partners in addition to, in addition to our tribal partners. But as you mentioned, our our strategic plan. Um, really does have three goals that um, that are aimed at addressing the inc ever increasing severity and complex nature of the hazards that that our country is continuing to face, and it really is targeted at um, addressing issues of equity and resilience. So our first goal is to instill equity as a foundation of emergency management. Um, our second goal is to lead the whole community in an approach to climate awareness and resilience. And our third goal is to promote and sustain a ready FEMA and prepared nation. And so I really wanna drill down um, on, on our first um, our first goal, which is equity as a foundation of emergency management. And, and this is really where I'm, I'm excited to say that in concert with our strategic plan that just just in August, just a few months ago, um, our administrator, uh, 
Deanne Criswell also launched our um, comprehensive uh, tribal strategy because understanding that our tribes have historically and currently face um, a disproportionate inequitable treatment, um, not only in the way that they are impacted by disasters, but in their inability to tap into the resources to help them um, combat the impacts of disasters. And so I'm incredibly excited that not only does she recognize that we need a robust strategy to combat that, but also that she recognizes that by engaging and learning from our tribal partners, we're going to be able to address other inequities in our program. So I'm really, really excited that the grant programs directorate is, is kind of helping lead the way. So we've actually, we've already engaged in three um, formal consultations with our tribal partners to help learn more about what we can do to um, adjust our programs to better meet their needs. And I'm really, really excited to, um, to adjust our programs and see what we can do to help engage our partners partners and truly adjust and um, address their needs in a more meaningful way. So maybe this is a good opportunity to just kind of talk about um, some of the things that you are aware of and maybe the agency is aware of in terms of the hurdles that tribal nations, you know, face um, in their ability to apply for and then successively obtain FEMA grant funding. So maybe sort of set the stage for what it is that we're trying to achieve. So historically, particularly with FEMA's programs, tribes have had to apply for resources and assistance through the states in which their sovereign lands are located. And we should first remind everyone that's listening that federally recognized tribes are sovereign nations. Um, you know, we have over 570 federally recognized tribes um, throughout the country, but they are legally to be treated as sovereign nations. I mean, just as we would diplomatically engage with a foreign country, um, they have um, leaders and um, some of them are called presidents. They have different governing structures and we are to legally recognize them as sovereign entities. And so to force them to go through a state um, is, is inappropriate um, and, um, and truly not right. And so as we are adjusting the way our legal framework works with them, we, we need to recognize their inherent sovereignty. And that's why we have implemented the, the consultation process. And the consultation process is a very respectful, formalized process in which um, we provide them notice, provide them an opportunity um, to, to come to us with formalized comments, but also where we engage with them in a very um, open, honest, transparent um, process, um, and then dialogue with them about um, our proposals, what we're thinking, and then solicit their input. And then not only um, solicit their input, but 
truly dialogue and engage with them. It is a trust building process. It is a collaborative process. It isn't only a solicitation for input, but um, we need to engage with them in a way where we truly understand um, what we are proposing and that impact impact on them. And through this process, we have, um, certainly for me, it has been completely eye-opening. Uh, one of the things that, that you have to understand about tribal nations is uh, culturally, inherently, um, tribes are so intertwined with a respect and an understanding of climate change and an investment in how they impact the environment and the world around them. And tribes think about their impact in the world around them, not in terms of the next 10, 20 years. They truly think about things in terms of four to six generations ahead of them. Imagine thinking about what I do today and how that is going to impact things four generations down the line. Well, that is truly a climate impact type of thinking. And so understanding that is, is a great way of thinking how they want to invest in things, how they are thinking about hazards and mitigation and, um, and how to draw down their risks. And, um, but one of the things that we have greatly learned is that they are restricted in the amount of resources that they have. Um, many tribes um, are completely strapped for resources, but don't have any more than one person that is even focused on disasters and emergency management and preparedness um, any more than full time. Um, so the resources that they have to even tap into grants is extremely limited. So we're learning things like they they shouldn't have to go through the state. They need um, increased flexibility on the use of grant funds. Um, they need flexibility on any sort of cost share, again, because of limited resources. Um, and so as we are continuing to dialogue, we are certainly learning things that, as I mentioned, um, will certainly have applicability to other communities, um, particularly in rural and underserved um, communities across the country, but specifically streamlining our application processes. Um, our application process can be burdensome and hard, and that is a tremendous burden on tribes and other communities. And so helping us understand where those pressure points are and if those were to be relieved, the impact that that would have on our tribal partners has been tremendously informative and what we can undertake to alleviate those pain points so that they can avail themselves to the resources that are available. I mean, that is a, that's a tremendous effort. And I really appreciate you kind of clearly under helping us understand the sort of that ter term of art of what a tribal consultation is. And, and it sounds like it's, it's, it's just truly a, a mutually beneficial experience, um, from what it sounds like. And Pam, you've already, how many consultations have you done already? 
So to date, we've done three consultations. Um, so during the summer, we did a specific consultation on the Emergency Preparedness Performance Grant, or what we call EMPG, which specifically provides resources not only to tribes, but to our state and local partners to help them with personnel needs. But again, one of the things that we learned is that tribes having to go through states um, or receiving not enough resources, it's just not augmenting them in the way that they are needing to be augmented. So as we are taking a look at that, you know, how could we get them more resources, more dedicated resources, or more flexible resources? That was definitely themes that we heard um, in, in that consultation, um, and um, that was the summer. And then um, we had a consultation um, specifically on a new grant program that came out of the bipartisan infrastructure law. And that was in August, and that was specifically related to cybersecurity. So um, certainly our tribes are not immune to the cybersecurity threats that um, are facing us across the nation. And the bipartisan infrastructure law actually carved out a dedicated pot um, specifically for tribes. And so we held a consultation um, related to this pot of money specifically to ask them, how should we design this program? So it was a tremendous opportunity because we were in a position of designing a brand new program. What does this need to look like? And one of the things that we heard, they need guidance on what should their cybersecurity look like? So there was a tremendous knowledge gap. What do they need to be doing? And so we definitely saw this as, as an opportunity to, um, to build resources. So that's going to definitely be one of the, the things that we are going to have to do with the cybersecurity grant program is what resources need to be pulled and given to um, to to tribes to as part of this grant program. But again, one of the things that we that we definitely heard was the amount of resources dedicated to this um, and the consistency of resources across tribal nations. Um, and then most recently, um, we are we looked um, to the tribes to give us some input on the Tribal Homeland Security Grant Program. And um, in engaging with tribes on this, um, we are actually looking to potentially um, influence a legislative change and um, going back to Congress to adjust the legal authorities and expand the legal authorities so that we can address the needs of, of our tribes, because currently we do not have sufficient legal authorities to um, to address those concerns and to expand the program to address not only terrorism needs, um, but more all hazard needs of, of our tribal nations. And um, again, to just in input additional flexibility into the program, reduce cost share and administrative burdens on the tribes so that they can greater um, exercise greater flexibility um, into the program and utilize the resources intended to them to, to strengthen their communities against um, inherent risks. So uh, the tribal consultation process and, and the conversations that are had, are they, are they always um, sort of uh, program specific or is do you sort of engage in a consultation broadly about the way that FEMA engage or communicates with uh, tribes? I guess what I'm, I'm, I'm wondering is if they are uh, meant to be 
program specific to gain understanding with regard to one specific topic, what do you have uh, in store for the future? What what other topics are you, are you looking to improve as it relates to grants and, and where do you see this going? Yeah, so I definitely see this as, as a meaningful, ongoing, continuous process. Um, because of our history with tribes, I think it is critical that we continue to build trust and engagement. And one of the things that has been very important for me is to, to make sure that tribes understand that with each engagement, even if we are engaging on a specific topic, that the floor is open for them to bring anything to the table. Um, because you're exactly right. While we may be engaging on a specific topic, we need to know those things that we need to signpost for additional engagement, those things that we may not be aware of, because the tribes are experts for those issues that they are facing. We are not. That's why we do these engagements. So one, we are making sure that they know that the floor is always open for them to bring issues to us so that we can prioritize them. And that is certainly a key part of this tribal strategy that Administrator Criswell has prioritized for us along with the strategic plan. But I think as we move forward, we do need to be signposting not only those programs, but big issues on what is on the horizon for us? What are those programs that need to be at the forefront for us? And I do think, you know, on the disaster side, Certainly, our partners in our Office of Response and Recovery are also prioritizing what disaster response and recovery looks like for our tribal partners because it's inevitable and they are continuously burdened by um, the disaster cycles. And mitigation is also looking at how do we strengthen our tribal partners against um, some ongoing flooding and massive climate change? And um, how do we look at it in a different way, um, given um, their unique relationship with um, sacred lands that are being impacted by massive climate change? Um, so I think that those are some big issues that we have on the horizon, particularly as we continue to prioritize equity, um, because historically, these programs have not met their needs and they have not been able to truly, truly um, reach in and take advantage of the resources that are available just because they haven't had access to these programs. You mentioned this a little bit earlier, Pam, but you know, where do you see some of the, the conversations that we're having about improving delivery of services with our tribal organizations? How do you see them leading to improved efficiencies, uh, improved processes with other applicant stakeholder groups like um, our rural emergency managers, maybe UASI applicants or faith-based organizations? You know, where are the um, s sort of those nexus that can improve those consistent efficiencies? I definitely think we have a lot to learn in how we can simplify our application processes, right? I, I just think that as, as bureaucratic organizations do inherently, 
some things have just become overly burdensome, overly administrative in process. And I think we can definitely identify some ways to simplify that, to um, to truly find ways that we can eliminate certain processes, um, certainly eliminate some duplications. And um, I think that all of our applicants are going to benefit that, from that. But one of the things that I've certainly learned from our, from our tribal partners is that there are some partnerships that are amazing. There are some states and some regions and some communities that have truly developed amazing partnerships. And Administrator Criswell talks about this in, a, in an amazing way. When we're talking about resilience, the most important thing that you can do is invest in the system. Right. It's not just a single investment in a single project. You've truly got to invest in the system and tribes while they're sovereign. Um, they also need key partnerships, and those are partnerships in the communities around them, in the states around them. And so there are some amazing examples of great partnerships, and I know that we have some tremendous lessons learned. We also know there are some great lessons learned in that amazing relationship with the environment, with climate change, with creative solutions. I think we have a lot that we can learn from best practices from our tribes. And I think that that's not only going to help us in our administrative processes, but in our other grant applicants. And so that's that's gonna help all of our grantees, large and small, um, find better solutions, find better opportunities for partnerships. Um, and I think that that's only going to strengthen the country writ large. Thanks for listening to this episode of Before, During, and After, a podcast from FEMA. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, or have ideas for future episodes, visit us at fema.gov slash podcast. Thank you.